0: Welcome back, Donuts. Welcome to another episode of Fright Dough, your weekly fix of true crime. I'm your girl, Gina. And before we jump into this very, very horrible case, I want to always remind listeners that the stories that I cover on this podcast may be difficult to hear. However, it is very important to shine a light on these cases and remember the victims who were affected. This is Fried Doe, True Crime Podcast, and this is the story of Tim McLean's Horrible Demise. In a serene town of Winnipeg, Canada, nestled amidst spurning prairies and picturesque landscape, there was a young man named Tim McLean, 22 years old with an infectious smile and an adventurous spirit. Tim's vibrant presence was a ray of sunshine that brightened the lives of those all around him. Tim McLean was born October 3rd, 1985 in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Born with a curiosity that known no bounds, as he grew up, Tim's passion for adventure only intensified. He spent hours poring over maps and travel books, envisioning the days when he would set foot in a faraway land, immersing himself in untold stories of distant places. But as much as he longed to venture into the unknown, life responsibilities kept him anchored in his hometown, woven into a fabric of family and community. This is his story.
1: I was just reading a book. All of a sudden I heard a guy screaming. I turned around and the guy sitting right next beside me was standing up and stabbing another guy with a big Rambo knife. Tim
0: grew up near Winnipeg in an agricultural area of Eli, Manitoba. He was known as a warm individual who wasn't shy about meeting new people. Tim was the kind of person who made friends with strangers and jailed with people very easily. He added significant value to any group he accompanied, and he was well-loved by family and friends. It didn't take much consideration to like Tim McLean and after started liking him falling for his eccentric personality was inevitable tim was very well liked he saw the good in everyone he wasn't the type to dislike anyone he saw the good in people and accepted everyone for who they were tim's uncle alex mclean described his nephew as a little guy with a big heart unfortunately traveling and an anticipating encounter with a stranger on the bus would savagely end the life of gentle Tim McLean. On July 30th, 2008, Tim was a 22-year-old Carnival employee heading back home from work. He boarded Greyhound bus 1170 at about 12.01 p.m. So Tim got on the bus and he seated himself by a window towards the back of the bus. He had been working in Alberta and was exhausted after a night out. It would be about a 22-hour ride for him to get home, so Tim brought himself some music, some headphones, to keep him company during the long journey. At 6.55, the bus made a stop in Erickson, Manitoba. A 40-year-old Chinese immigrant named Vince Lee boarded the bus. Vince Lee came to Canada in 2001 with a computer science degree. At one point, he worked at a church doing small jobs to support him and his wife. He became a Christian and was baptized around that time. The pastor claimed he had no complaints about Lee. Then in 2004, Lee was reportedly hospitalized after problems with law enforcement, but not much else was known about this incident. Then Lee was a forklift driver for a time while his wife was a waitress. He reportedly had no problems working this profession either. Nevertheless, He quit in 2005. Over time, his marriage deteriorated into separation, but the cause for it was unknown. In 2006, Lee started working for Walmart while also delivering newspapers on the side. Then, four weeks later, before Lee got on bus 1170, he was terminated from his job at Walmart due to a problem with another employee. These are the events that led Vince Lee to bus 1170. He then went to Winnipeg for a job interview on July 28, 2008. On July 29, Lee got off the bus in the town of Erickson. He had three pieces of luggage with him. Witnesses claimed that he spent the night outside on a bench, staring up to the space for hours. The next day, he sold his brand-new computer to a child for $60. It was confiscated by police, who then turned and bought the boy another computer in exchange for his honesty. He was tall and wearing sunglasses. He took a seat near the front of the bus. He was leaving Edmonton, Alberta. And at about 8 p.m., the bus pulled over to a rest stop where Vince Lee reportedly got out to have a smoke. So when he got back on the bus, he headed straight to the back where Tim McLean was sitting. Tim was sitting in the seat right in front of the bathroom door. Vince eyed everyone in the seat as he slowly made his way back to where Tim was sitting. Tim was sitting in the back by the window. The aisle seat to his left was vacant. Lee eyeballed Tim and Tim flashed a friendly smile and gestured to Lee to feel free to have a seat next to him. Tim sat down, leaned against the window, closed his eyes and put his headphones on and he peacefully drifted off into a sleep. So up to this point, Lee's behavior, other passengers said that his behavior was pretty much normal. It wasn't really anything alarming about it. He was quiet. He didn't really perceive to be no type of threat to anyone. But then someone sitting across the aisle started noticing Vincent. His his energy just started shifting. He started fidgeting. Then he began muttering something in a low voice. It was some kind of Chinese chant. They said it was strange, but it wasn't over alarming. It wasn't until Vince Lee pulled out a big bowie knife out of his backpack and quickly started stabbing unaware, unconscious Tim McLean
1: in the neck. Pretty much. It was a big survival knife like this in the throat. Repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Uh, I told everybody to get off the bus. Everybody started to get off the bus. Uh, The guy stepped that st- are still kept stabbing him, stabbing him. Uh, everybody got off the bus, me and the trucker that had stopped and the Greyhound driver. Tim was shot back to
0: reality in a screaming panic. He tried to fight back, but it was as if Vince Lee was a murder machine and he was set on murdering Tim. Vince Lee repeatedly stabbed Tim nonstop. Passengers panicked, people screamed for the driver to stop the bus as they rushed to the front of the bus in a terrified frenzy of horror at this time. Now, while everybody is running to the back, Vince pulled Tim out into the aisle on the floor and he continued to stab him with no mercy. The driver slammed on the brakes, bringing the bus to an emergency stop. The passengers frantically rushed through the front exit as the driver and two other attempted to rescue Tim but Lee was enraged when they got near him, he was slashed wildly in the air or in their direction with the bloody knife. They too had to exit the bus for their own safety. At this time, it's hoped that Tim was already dead as the 30 plus passengers of the Greyhound bus 1170 stood on the side of the road of the Trans-Canada Highway about a half an hour west of Winnipeg they watched as absolute horror unfolded on the bus before them. With the massive knife he just used to stab Tim countless times, Vince Lee began to saw and hack at the neck of Tim McLean's lifeless body. After a while, Lee stood up to his feet with his bloody knife in one hand and Tim's head in the other. People fainted screamed hysterically, and some vomited. Teenagers took out their phones and began to try to record it, while the younger children cried as they witnessed this trauma that undoubtedly will be with them for the rest of their lives. A trucker driving through the area stopped and helped the fearful people defend themselves with a crowbar and hammers. Then suddenly Lee began to make his way towards the front of the bus. But the driver and the trucker and another passenger acted very quickly, attempting to close the doors, blocking him from leaving the bus or attacking other people. And just as the door slammed shut like something out of a horror movie, the arm that Vince had his knife in got stuck in the door and he was wielding it at everybody from the outside. So they ran up the highway to try and put distance between him and and them because they didn't know what he was going to do in the event that he got off of that bus. They were sure that he would. They were scared that he would. Law enforcements were en route but they were nowhere near the now bloody crime scene. So the people were outside. They couldn't do nothing but wait and watch. They watched him parade Tim's decapitated head up and down the aisles of the bus showing it off as if it was some sick trophy and then with still no sign of the police these actions on board of the Greyhound intensified he cut open Tim's chest and tore out his organs he took Tim's heart his lungs his liver and finally ripped out his intestines he took these items and strung them out all over the bus and still the other passengers could do nothing but watch and wait in shock but this wasn't over in full line of sight Vince Lee devoured both of Tim's eyes and a third of his heart he then cut off Tim's nose and ears He taunted his audience by smelling the severed parts and licking Tim McLean's blood off of his own fingers. Lee had also brought plastic bags with him. These were for storage in the pieces that he cut off. He actually planned to take part of his victim with him. Oh my God. This was so cruel. It was unthinkable in every way. The passengers outside the bus were witnessing what can only be described as just evil. At around 9 p.m., authorities and emergency services arrived in Vulcan, immediately contained the scene while attempting to reason with Vince Lee. But negotiations proved to be fruitless. It was no use. Vince Lee simply wasn't compliant. He stated out loud, I have to stay on this bus forever and then continue to dissect Tim McLean for hours. Non-stop presence, SWAT team members. The SWAT team members later criticized the attending officers for not taking Lee out and putting the end to this situation sooner. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. But shooting Lee wouldn't have done more than leave a ton of unanswered questions for the poor McLean family and the rest of the traumatized passengers of bus 1170. At about one thirty a.m. after hours of the police seemingly getting nowhere, Vince Lee finally tried to make a run for it by breaking out one of the windows of the bus. But it was over quickly because he was met on the other side by a shock of a police taser and the teeth of a heroic canine officer. The crime scene was finally analyzed as the traumatized witnesses were questioned. Tim's nose, ears, and tongue were all found in Lee's pocket. Lee, who injured himself in the killing and cannibalizing of Tim McLean, was taken straight to the hospital to treat his injuries. I simply will never understand this aspect of law enforcement. I just I would never get it. It doesn't matter to me what a person will say. I would never get it. Greyhound representatives had to take passengers to a local store to replace all of their clothes and belongings because everything now on the bus was evidence. Then at 3.30 p.m. the next day, the exhausted passengers finally arrived home in Winnipeg to the worried arms of their loved ones. Tim's mother, Carol, was informed by her ex-husband that Tim would not be coming home. She reportedly learned what happened on the bus to her son the night before while listening to the radio. She prayed over and over again that it wasn't her son. She was understandably devastated beyond conceivable belief. Some of the passengers from bus 1170 has never recovered from what they had saw that day. Even some of the police officers and emergency responders that day still haven't shaken off the post-trauma effects of what they saw. The only thing that Tim's family was able to do was pray and push for justice to be served to the evil devil that was on that bus that destroyed their angel. Medical reviewers seem to indicate that Vince was an undiagnosed schizophrenic who may have not been prescribed with the correct medication for his condition. Everyone from law enforcement and the defense to the judge and the prosecutor unanimously agreed that at the time of the crime Vince Lee was clearly not of sound mind but what they did was conclude that the case without regard for the unwavering trauma this event caused the people who witnessed it and even worse Tim McLean's family reportedly didn't even have a word in apparently there was no open trial the court decided not to call upon the traumatized witnesses or Tim McLean's family and Vince claimed that he wasn't criminally responsible due to mental illness. The judge relied on testimony from the forensic psychiatrist, witnesses that reportedly never actually witnessed the madness that unfolded on bus 1170. They were never even at the scene of the crime, and so the judge ruled Vince Lee not criminally responsible due to psychosis caused by the schizophrenia. It had gone untreated and he was sent to Selkirk Mental Health Center for an indefinite amount of time for treatment and monitoring. There they spent time rehabilitating Vincent and reportedly he even had help in changing his name to Will Baker. Needless to say that the justice system has clearly failed the family of Tim McLean and the witnesses who were on that bus. There was no justice on that bus 1170. They were all closed out from the trial. They didn't even get a say. How does these people that were involved, how do they even sleep at night? They should have at least been called to voice their opinions. Once the experts started working with Lee, they began filming hours of video and keeping transcripts while interviewing him about What happened on bus 1170? He said, God made me do it. I was an evil son of an evil God. God chose me as the killer and God chose him as the victim. God controls all things and God made me do it. After they stabilized Lee's med, they determined while he clearly wasn't in his normal state of mind when he committed the crime, he wasn't completely out of it vince knew what he was doing and he remembered every gruesome detail and that part right there over time they began testing the waters by giving lee certain amounts of freedom while also adjusting his medication and after a while it seemed like his brain could function in a normal state and they determined that lee was capable of integrating back into society
1: Mr. Lee, or the former Mr. Lee, I should say, uh, was held not criminally responsible on account of his mental illness. That mental illness has since been treated, and in the expert opinion of his, of his physicians, uh, he is in recovery. Uh, so I don't believe that there's any risk to the public here, um, and I'm taking the lead from his treatment team on that. He'll uh, try his best um, to reintegrate back into society. We know that uh, some of the factors that contribute to recovery from schizophrenia or from any other mental illness uh, are, are more than just medication. Um, he'll need to find adequate housing, employment, uh, social support in his community. All of these things will help uh, to, to ensure that he recovers and thereby ensure that he doesn't reoffend. He will, I, I would predict, uh, have ongoing uh, treatment. You don't have to receive a, a court order in order to uh, receive ongoing treatment. So if his psychiatrist, if his treating team feels that there is any risk of harm to himself or to others, they're obligated to report that anyway um, and, and to compel uh, Mr. Leach to receive treatment. So, you know, the, this will be difficult uh, for him as it is difficult for the victim's uh, families to see him released in this way. Uh, but in Canada, we do believe that, um, that that justice is served here uh, proportionally uh, and that people can and do recover from all kinds of mental illnesses.
0: Let's just let that sink in a little bit. In June 2010, not even a year and a half after the trial absolved him of criminal responsibility of the murder of Tim McLean, eventually they began supervised release and two years after that, In 2012, he began to leave the hospital unsupervised for short visits. By 2015, he was living in a halfway house with the only thing they fully controlled were his meds. On February 10, 2017, Vince Lee, now William Baker, was declared fully stable and capable of functioning independently. This includes the ability to maintain and regulate his own medication. You just can't make this up. The psychiatrist stated that Lee only had an 8% chance of having a relapse. That's a lot when it has somebody's life to do with it. I wonder how many chances, what was the percentage waiver on the day when he killed Tim McLean? That's just me since vince lee is so well to go back into society the psychiatrist should offer a room for him to come and live with him until that eight percent gets to zero percent tim's mother carol said that lee has an incurable disease that makes him do terrible things i believe he needs to be in the institution that addressed those needs i don't think it matters if you're mentally ill or not if you kill someone you should lose your freedom. I need for Vince Lee and people like him to remain locked in a facility where they can make sure that they get their medication, where they can be treated for their mental illness, but the rest of the public can be kept safe. That's what I need to move forward to carry on. I would never get my son back regardless of what I do or what I have done. Carol and Tim Sr. never got to say goodbye to their son because his body was so badly damaged, and part of it was in Vince Lee's stomach. And that in a situation like this, the victim, their families, and their protective of the rest of the public is what matters the most. And you would think everyone would agree with that. He was eventually became a free man walking around with no criminal responsibility for his past actions like killing and cannibalizing a man on the bus in front of 30 people like it never happened. It's everyone else that bears the burden of carrying around what Vince Lee did on bus 1170. Meanwhile, he can potentially skip a couple of doses and do it all over again at any moment. So again, you can treat him. You can learn from him, but knowing what he's capable of, keep his ass locked up. I just hope that he don't try to come to America, because I'm going to keep that name in mind. Will Barker, and I will be posting his picture. The story of Tim McLean is one that leaves us both heartbreaking and inspired. It is a story of a young man with an adventurous soul whose life was tragically cut short, in an act of senseless violence. Throughout this podcast episode, we have dove into the vibrant essence of Tim, his dream, and his boundless curiosity. We have learned about the impact of his loss on his family, friends, and the entire community. We have grappled with both difficult questions surrounding mental illness and the need for better support and understanding but amid the darkness, we have also witnessed the resilience of the human spirit. Tim's memory lives on in the hearts of those who loved him, and in the lasting impact of his legacy. His story has sparked conversation, raised awareness, and ignited a movement of compassion and empathy. As we reflect on Tim's life, let us remember to cherish every moment to embrace life's adventure and treat one another with kindness and understanding. Let us honor his memory by advocating for mental health support and working to create a world where acts of violence are replaced with acts of love and compassion. We are reminded that the impact of a single life, no matter how short, can reach far beyond its time on this earth. Tim McLean's story is a testament to the enduring power of love the strength of community, and the importance of coming together in the face of tragedy. Thank you for joining me on this very emotional journey through the life and legacy of Tim McLean. As we end this episode, I ask you to carry his memory with you and strive to make a positive difference in the lives of others, just as he did during his life with us. Rest in peace, Timothy Richard McLean, Jr. Your spirit lives on in the hearts of all who have come to know your story. Today's missing segment, we're featuring Keyshawn Williams. Keyshawn has been missing since June 17, 2023. He's 15 years old. He was missing from Cleveland, a male, black hair, medium complexion, He's 5'6", 125 pounds, short black hair and brown eyes. The location Keyshawn was last seen was attending a house party on June 17th at a home in the 5,700 block of Fleet Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. He was wearing cream-colored jogging pants with white and blue lettering and gray Jordan tennis shoes. The circumstances of Keyshawn's disappearance Keyshawn called his mother at 10:38 p.m. and said that he was on his way home, but he never made it. Cleveland police believe that Keyshawn may have been abducted. The suspect is unknown. The vehicle involved is described as a black Jeep SUV with temporary license plates. If you have any information for Keyshawn's whereabouts, please call the Cleveland Police Department at 216 216- 623-5400 or BAMFI, that's B-A-M-F-I, at one eight 97 Let's help bring Kishan home to his family. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. If you have any insight on this case or any other case that I've covered, or if you have any case suggestions, contact the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or if you like, you can leave a 60-second message, and that message might be on the next episode. All of the links are in the show notes. Until next time, Donuts, please stay safe, stay vigilant, and please always, always, always trust your instincts, child. They will never
1: steal you from. From 1,200, we have a total of about twenty dollars left. And here's another guy. Got on at Abbotsford. He works the carnival too. His name's John. We know him as Crazy Eyes. If you take a look at his so, eyes, you call you Crazy Eyes. You'll understand. Oh, I, I don't understand. Crazy. I just found out some more interesting news today that I'm all ecstatic about. I'm not gonna tell you yet. <laughs> Wait and find out. I can find
0: but for 17 miles, I am